Good morning. Great to be here with you today. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here at High Point. Always a, a thrill to be with you here, worshiping God together. Uh, this is High Point Church, and this is Thanksgiving break. Uh, so happy early Thanksgiving. Um, all, you guys, I mean it when I say it. There's a few places I'd rather be. In fact, there's no place I'd rather be than Sunday than right here worshiping with you today. If this is your first time here today, let me just say officially welcome. Um, great to have you here, especially uh, if this is your first time. One of the things about church is that you, you meet new people, right? One of the reasons that sometimes people get intimidated going to a new church is knowing that they're going to meet new people, right? That is one of the things is the family of God as a, as an, as a church culture. You, you kind of, it's social, right? It's communal. You meet people. Having been in ministry now for some time, uh, I pastored one of our churches, our Every Nation Church in Orlando, and helped get that church started uh, some time ago, several years ago. And, and on one particular Sunday, I'm doing what I always do. I'm an extrovert. I like to talk to people. And so I'm doing my best to, to meet new people right after church and create a hospitable environment right? Engaging with them and meeting new people. And so I'm talking to a new family that was there. And one of the team members on our church staff, you know, kind of slides up next to me and says, hey, do you know who you're talking to? And I was like, well, I just met them. You know, I just met the family. It's so-and-so, this name. And I didn't, I didn't recognize the name. And they're like, yeah, yeah. I mean, that I know who I know who it is, but do you know, do you know who that is? I'm like, no. They're like, that's the president of Disney. President of Disney, like, like manages the department? <laughs> like the president of that department? No. No, 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 no. That is the president of Disney. The thing. Like the thing. I'm like, oh, okay. The president of Disney is right here. Now, when you meet somebody, just full transparency, and you discover a little bit about them, but specifically in a moment like this, you, you realize that you're, you're around somebody who has a leadership capacity that is so far beyond where you are in life, right? It does do something to you. Like you immediately think about everything that you just said and you're, you're rolling through, what did I say that sounded like an idiot right in front of this person? You immediately think about what you're going to say next, right? You, 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 you're a little more mindful of what's coming out of your mouth, are you not? You're kind of straightening, you know, you're straightening your shirt out just a little bit, standing a little bit straighter, making sure those muffin crumbs have been brushed off of your shoulder just a little bit more. That's not to say that, I, that I'm encouraging you to play favorites or anything like that. But there is something about power and authority that changes the dynamic of a relationship. It simply does. Standing in front of somebody that is leading arguably one of the most influential companies in the entire world 
makes you think a little bit differently. Knowing that this person can take out their cell phone and with one dial of a phone number have the Disney yacht pull up to dock and entertain guests, entertain celebrities, investors, and in my case, hopefully, pastors. <laughs> you want to go ahead and dial that? I mean, I'm fine with it. In our particular case, this gentleman had a passion for church planting. And so was checking out some of the churches that were recently planted in his quote-unquote backyard. And authority and power, we've seen it abused. We've seen what happens when authority and power are used improperly. It's disastrous. But when authority and, and power are used well, it changes, yes, the dynamic of a relationship, and it actually changes it for the better. Let me ask you this. You ever been around somebody only to discover Right? Later or, or in the moment that they weren't quite who you thought they were. In other words, like you're, you're, you're talking to the person and you ask to speak to the manager. And they look at you and they say, I am the manager. And you're immediately, you think, oh, okay. Uh, I may need to apologize for what I just said 30 seconds ago. Right? You think differently about it because, again, the dynamic changes. If you've been around a CEO or you've been around a police officer or a principal or a teacher, a mom or a dad even, right? And you, you discover that the, the authority and power that that person walks in, it does, in fact, change the relationship. The Bible says that God has all authority and all power. Everybody say authority. authority. Everybody say power. power. God has all authority and he has all power. And yet many times we come into his presence and we don't allow who he is to change the dynamic of our relationship. Here's what I mean by it. In our very casual culture, our sweatpants and hoodie culture, which don't get me wrong, I love a good hoodie. I love some sweatpants, okay? But in our fast, casual, coffee vibe culture, every relationship many times has become low-key, super chill, and super familiar, and so we love the fact that God is all loving. We love the fact that God is kind. We love that God is something we respond to. The Bible says that he's our friend. Uh, we come to him. We love him. He loves us. We bring our faith. You know, we worship. We love. We help the poor. We, we do all these things. And all of them are good and all of it is great. But many times we do it and we leave this part out. The true recognition, the stature, the majesty, the glory, the kingship, the lordship, the authority and power of who God is and who his son Jesus truly is. 
One of the more common conversations I have that people of my generation express is feeling dead on the inside. Faith just doesn't feel alive. I feel apathetic or, or just, or there's just something missing. And I would submit to you today as we get into the scriptures that one of the greatest reasons that this is the case is because we have not built upon a foundation of understanding first and foremost who this God is. He is king and he has all authority and he has all power. That is who this God is. And if we get that wrong, well then, is it any surprise that everything just kind of feels chill. Where's the electricity? Where's the fire? Where's the passion? Where's the power? Father, be with us as we open the word today and we get into the scripture. Speak to us. And God, I pray that you would bring us to greater life today through your son, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Paul is writing in the book of, in the letter to the Colossian church. We're in the book of Colossians today. It's in the New Testament. You can scroll there in your app. You can follow it behind me. Or if you've got a paper Bible, it's about probably, well, I don't know how many books in, in the New Testament is, but it's in the New Testament, okay? And Paul writes to the church there. He says, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us, and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. And in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Paul is writing to the Colossian church and he's, he's telling them, hey, you need to remember some things here, church. You need to remember that you were dead in your sins. You were dead, as in dead, dead. Not, not like Princess Bride, mostly dead. No, you were fully dead. Whether you recognize it, own it, or not, you didn't have anything going on here. Your sin has you Dead and dead to rights. But guess what? And he begins to share the gospel afresh with them in this letter. He says, man, you were dead. But guess what? God sent Jesus to deal with your sinful nature. And he did. And he made you alive with Christ. Everybody say alive. alive. You've been made alive. Alive, as in fully alive. And the reason that happened is because Jesus forgave all your sins. Now they know this. They responded when, when Paul or, or, or when Epaphras planted the church there in Colossae and shared the good news, people responded and they put their faith in Jesus. This isn't the first time that they're hearing it. This isn't new news. But Paul is reminding them in this moment. 
He says, man, all these accusations, all the sin that you have that is against you, and it is against you. It's like a big fat daddy laundry list. But when Jesus died on the cross, that list, the record of all these things, it doesn't matter how bad, it doesn't matter how terrible, it doesn't matter how dark. If it's on here, that thing was nailed to the cross. And when Jesus died, all your sins died with him remember you've been made alive your sin died with Jesus oh and by the way Jesus disarmed all those powers all that darkness all that demonic activity he broke the back of the enemy and he disarmed the powers uh, uh, that, that be. And the, the illustration that, that Paul is using in this moment is that of a victoring champion in the same way that, I know it's graphic, but, but a chariot many times would be dragging the losing king oftentimes behind them through the city, right, that had won. They would be dragging the losing king behind them in the wake. That's the image that we're supposed to understand here. Satan didn't just lose. He got his rear end kicked and he's being drugged through the streets. Jesus won and he won big time because Jesus is amazing. There's no one like him. And Paul's reminding the Colossian church because something's happening to this church. It's the same thing that happens to our churches. It's the same thing that happens in 2023. It's the same thing that happened 50 years ago and 100 years ago and 1,000 years ago. You begin to forget the amazing nature of who Jesus is. And the thing that's happening here in Colossae is that they have other gods. It looks a little different than our culture, right? But in Colossae and in, in ancient history in this moment, they had little idols. If you've ever seen the movie Gladiator, right? Russell Crowe's character, they have these little, you know, these, these little idols that represent his family, right? And it's such a dear thing for him. And he's, he's praying to them, praying for them. And they're little idols, well, in this moment, in this point in history, you got an idol for money. You got an idol for the harvest. You got an idol for fertility. You got an idol for the weather. You got an idol for the marketplace. You had an idol for everything. And Jesus was added to the mix. The great news is that they hadn't rejected Jesus. It wasn't that they didn't believe that Jesus wasn't a God. It's that they didn't necessarily believe he was the only true God. And so Jesus was added to the, you know, the table, the shrine in the house and getting worshiped of one among many. And Paul is reminding the church in this moment that Jesus isn't like the rest. Jesus isn't like all the other things here. No, 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 no. You need to understand Jesus 
is extraordinary. Jesus is amazing. Jesus will blow your mind. You were dead in your sins. Who helped you with that? All those other idols? No, no, no. I don't think so. They didn't do a thing for you, did they? No. Who was it? His name is and was Jesus. There's no one like this God that you serve. He broke the back of the enemy, the powers of darkness in your life. And this is what he says in chapter 2, verse 20. He says, you have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. In other words, all these other idols, all these other powers, all these other things that you're bowing down and worshiping, God has set you free from those things. You don't have to appease that God anymore. You don't have to bring that, that sacrifice anymore. You don't have to do that. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be worried. You don't have to build any kind of idol in your life to worship. The only thing you need to worship is Jesus. Period. Because there's no one like him. He has all authority and all power. Verse 23, all these rules, that they seem wise, and they, but they require, like, think of this, all of the different worship of other idols and other things. It requires strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. In other words, you're worshiping all these other things and they cannot change you. Only one can. So stop treating this one like all the rest. He has all authority and all power. The series we're in is called, Can a Leopard Change Its Spots? In other words, can we really experience change and life change from the inside out? And the truth is, the answer is no. If we, if we treat Jesus as though he is simply a casual relationship and one among many, then you will not experience life change. You just won't get there. You won't taste it. You won't feel it. You won't be moved. You will not experience the transformation that you desperately need because you're not really believing the gospel. But if we recognize who this Jesus is, you were dead and he made you alive and he set you free from all this other nonsense. Put your faith in that. See, false gods never give us what they promise. Oh, they make lots of promises. And we don't worship idols of wood. You know, I, I don't think any of you have shrines in your home. I realize there, that that's not the case for everyone. But you know what? I shouldn't even make assumptions. Everybody's coming from a different place and a different culture. But understand this. False gods never give us what they promise. And American idols oftentimes look very different. Many times they're not made from brick and stone, but they are idols no less. And so we look to money, and money, money promises happiness, does it not? Money promises peace. And I'm not saying money's not important, and I'm not saying that I wouldn't like more of it. But it hasn't really ever provided the peace that I feel like it should. 
It doesn't give me lasting joy. Sex promises satisfaction and it promises acceptance. Feeling loved, but has it really ever delivered on that promise? No, it hasn't. Despite us giving our time and energy and hopes and dreams to it. Family promises fulfillment. Family's important, but as family, really, the, 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 is this the thing that all of your life drives to and is fulfilled by? No, it can't be, or you're going to be left high and dry. Success promises recognition and affirmation. Has it really delivered? No. No. Because false gods never give us what they promise. So Paul says, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things for you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ Jesus in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In other words, Paul is saying, this happened. Jesus set you free. And Jesus has made you alive. And because that's true, since that happened, now this should happen. He gets progressive, like, like dominoes. If you've ever just, you know, you, you hit the one and, right? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You ever see those? Okay. Sorry. <laughs> He's getting progressive in this moment. Since this happened, now this should happen. And what does he say? Since you've been raised with Christ. In other words, since you've, you died, your sin died, but you've been raised to life in the same way that Jesus rose from the grave three days later. You also have been raised with him. And that new life is yours. And how many problems of ours would cease to exist? They would, they would dissolve. They would go away if we would literally take this advice from Paul. And that we would set our mind and our heart on Jesus Christ. And where is Jesus? He is sitting at the right hand of the Father in the throne room of heaven. That's the picture that we've been given. But what is the throne room if it's not the place of all authority and all power? This is where Jesus dwells. This is where Jesus lives. And this is where Jesus is exercising authority and power on your behalf. Fix your eyes on that. Set your gaze on it. Set your heart and your mind on Jesus. And the word that's used, there's a Greek word called phreneo. Everybody say phreneo. You learned a little Greek today. It means to command the mind. This isn't like setting the table, right? Where you're like, mm, you know, a little fork right over here, knife and a little liberty here. And, you know, if you've ever seen the table get set with exact, right, you know, dimensions and measurements, it's an impressive thing. 
But for most of us, you know, setting the table is kind of casual. Just, you know, fork and knife and spoon, whatever, you know, whatever. Or you just grab the stuff from the drawer and go sit down, right? That's what we do. There's no setting of the table, right? You just go get it out the drawer. Get your drink, you know? It's not getting set for you. What do you think this is? But Paul says, set your mind on it. Command your thoughts. Command your heart to get in gear and get in line. In other words, you got lots of thoughts and so do I. Oh, I've got thoughts of, Lord, I need more money. God, I've got thoughts of that person hurt me and I'm mad about it. God, I've got thoughts of being jealous. I've got thoughts that are, that are lustful. I've got thoughts that are angry. I've got thoughts that are unforgiving. I've got thoughts, Lord Jesus. But Paul says, you died to that. Those things have no power over you anymore. Now, freneo your mind and your heart. In other words, get a hold of that thing and command it to start thinking the right things. Think about Jesus who is sitting at the right hand of the Father who has all authority and all power and who defeated darkness in your life. Dwell on that. Are your mind or your thoughts drifting? Command them to get in gear. Come on, somebody. All authority and all power. Do you have that? Well, when you walk in the power of the Spirit, you have the grace of God at work in your life. And we get to command those thoughts to get in line and to be fixed on Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Does that mean that every problem simply goes away? No. But it means this, that the foundation of you and I experiencing the life of Jesus begins with understanding who this Jesus is. He is king. And he is sitting at the right hand of the Father. The place of all authority and all power. My daughter plays in the orchestra at her school. And we just recently had an, an orchestra concert. Um, and there was a lot of people there. Like 300 students are in the orchestra, okay? That is a massive orchestra, if you don't know, right? And now, you know, the, the, the families are coming in. And the students have all their instruments. And it, when I say it's a room, it's not a room. It's a gymnasium, like court to court, filled with students, all broken up by, by grade. And they're, they are, they're getting ready to play their pieces that they have been preparing. And you've got the room, and the room is filled with who? Moms and dads and brothers and sisters and grandparents and friends. And this room is packed. And you see the conductor and you see, right, the students and the conductor's helping tune some of the instruments. Don't ask me how they could hear a thing in that room. But they're getting all the stringed instruments right and you got students who are going to the conductor and, and all the, you know, the pieces are getting put in place and, and finally everybody assumes their position. And they've got the music out on the music stand. And they're waiting. And 
And despite having everything tuned properly, and despite being on time, and despite being dressed right, and, and being in the right seat, there is still something that has to happen in this moment for this piece of music to come across right. And that is you have to watch that conductor. Because that conductor is going to raise their hand. And the music begins. And guess what happened? It was a middle school performance. And not everybody was watching. And you had a whole section come out of the gate. Maybe they were amped. I don't know. Maybe they were excited. I'm not sure. Right? But the Wizard of Oz, the music to the Wizard of Oz, somewhere over the rainbow, we had an entire, you know, stringed quartet over here coming out of the gate way before everybody else. And you have this, and then they're trying to play catch up over here. And all of a sudden, the conductor is like, stop. Just Stop. And everybody stopped. And I want you to hear this. With one word, the conductor, he raises his hand, the entire room stops. Eyes on me. As he says what he says. Eyes on me. Follow me. Follow me. Eyes on me. Wand up and begin. And the sound, not the sound of music, the, the Wizard of Oz, the themes to the Pirates of the Caribbean, to Jaws, they smoked it. It was amazing. We, we, we showed the video to family, you know, this past weekend on the Apple TV. We, you know, we streamed it. And they're all sitting there. And, I, you know, I've got the, the, the panorama of the 300 students. And they're like, they sound amazing, especially for a middle school orchestra. I know. Do you know why they sound so good? Yes, they practice. But truth be told, they actually have amazing teachers and amazing conductors. And they teach them to understand who is in charge ultimately of this piece of music. And yes, there was a little misstep, right, at the first song. But there is only one person who has the ability to say stop and the entire room gets quiet. There's only one person with that kind of authority. It's the conductor. There's only one person with that kind of power who raises the wand and here we go. If I had raised a pencil from the sixth row of where I was sitting, nobody would have cared if I had stolen his wand. Nobody would care. No, the, the conductor has the power and they have the authority. And they followed and they commanded that room to respect and honor their place and position in that very moment. Yeah. Now understand, that's just an orchestra conductor. Think of the authority and power 
that Jesus has, the ultimate conductor, the one who exercises the fullness of God's rule, his governance, his authority, and his power. How much more should that Jesus be able to silence our hearts? How much more should that Jesus be able to call us up to a place of worship and going after him and following him and obedience and faithfulness? That's who we serve, the one with all authority and the one with all power, and his name is Jesus. So stand to your feet, church. Paul writes in Colossians 1, I'm going to read it over you today. He writes a poem or a, or a song. And we don't actually know how it was sung, but it's, it's very likely that it, was, it is the oldest hymn in the history of the church as we know it. In other words, Paul is writing in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. And this was something that the early church would recite together. Either they would read it out loud or they would sing it together. It was a poem. It was lyrical. And it was to remind you of the power and amazing nature of Jesus Christ. You'd come into the worship assembly and you would be reminded of why you are here. Because Jesus is amazing and he has all power and he has all authority. So this morning, in the same way they would begin their moment of worship together with Colossians 1, today we're going to wrap with Colossians chapter 1. Are you ready for this? Because Jesus is in fact amazing and he is worthy of our worship. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross, and the whole church said, Amen. That is who we serve. That's the Jesus that we serve. You can put your hands together, not for me, but because Jesus is amazing. There's no one like him in all the earth. And if you want to feel alive on the inside, it starts by recognizing the power and authority, the majesty and glory of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Father, we thank you. We worship you this morning because there is no one like you. And we give you all praise and all honor. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.